Greetings and welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Francis Harry, your host. You know, we often talk about how to grow in the spiritual life. And what is foundational, of course, to everyone growing in the spiritual life, growing in union with the Lord, is living out the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes. But I think we become so familiar on a surface level that we take them for granted and we don't get to the depths of understanding what they address, how we're being taught through them and how they lead us to a deeper union with the Lord. So it is with great joy today that I introduce you anew to Deacon Rusty Baldwin, who is a member of the Secular Order of Discalced Carmelites in Dayton, Ohio. During our holy hours, he gives us a homily. And on this occasion, he chose to talk about the connection between the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes, which I found very interesting. And then he gives some reflections in particular on the Beatitudes that I find very refreshing and very helpful. And also how these two, um, the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes will help us prepare for a good confession, a good examination of conscience. So I am happy that he has taken the time to put all these thoughts together and present them to us. And I'm so glad that I get to share it with you. I hope that you find them inspiring and help um, you on your union with the Lord on your spiritual growth. God bless you. Tomorrow we celebrate the feast of all Carmelite saints, wherein we pray in thanksgiving for those Carmelite saints we know about as well as those we don't know about. So too we pray for each other who earnestly desire to be counted among that number. Tuesday is the commemoration of all Carmelite souls, where we pray for our beloved dead in Carmel. And on that day, let us remember in a special way those of our own community who have gone before us. Now, though there isn't much we don't know about, or though there is much we don't know about the vast majority of Carmelite saints and souls, we do know that like us, the Beatitudes were an integral part of their secular Carmelite vocation. Therefore, it's fitting that we reflect on the Beatitudes deeply and often. Since apostolic times, the Beatitudes have been seen as a sure guide to Christian perfection. St. Augustine called them the perfect standard of the Christian life. But their vital importance to our vocation can be seen most clearly in the fact that we promise to live the Beatitudes as we strive toward evangelical perfection. Now, even though our Lord was seen as a radical by his contemporaries, much of what he taught was simply the fulfillment, the completion, and the perfection of the Old Covenant the Law of Moses, and the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, patriarchs, prophets, and saints saw the law 
as the perfection of that in the Old Testament, leading them to that quite clearly, albeit from afar, as the book of Hebrews puts it. Over time, however, the law of Moses came to be seen by many others as merely a set of rules to live by, rules that were fixed in stone, if you will, what it meant to love God and neighbor. Follow the rules and God will be happy, or at least he won't be angry. This attitude isn't too surprising as human nature hasn't changed much over the centuries. All too often, especially when it comes to God, we ask, what is the minimum? And then we shoot for that minimum and beg forgiveness when we fall short even of that. But the old covenant and its rules and regulations were never intended to be the final word, never supposed to define some notional minimal requirement for loving God and neighbor. They are, rather, the foundation on which the law of love, which knows of no limit, no minimum, rests. Most of the Ten Commandments tell us what not to do. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, and so on. They are commands. Do this, don't do that. This foundation was and is necessary. Mankind is a slow learn after all, but it points to something greater, which many of the Old Testament saints readily perceived as the Song of Songs and the Psalms attest. Then, after this sure foundation was established, our Lord came to save us, yes, but also to plainly and explicitly show us what it meant to love to show us how we are to love. But love cannot be commanded, so he also came to change our stony hearts into hearts of flesh, hearts of love for him alone. He came to change our focus from the temporal to the eternal, from the material to the spiritual, from me to thee, even while we're here on earth. He came to show us that true love, the love we're to have for God and neighbor, has no bounds, no limits. The ancients had a beautiful and profound way of describing how God is without limit. And we can apply this to the love of God as well. They said, God's love is like a sphere whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. God's love is like a sphere whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. His love is present everywhere, yet transcends any boundary. It's limitless. It's eminent and transcendent, just like God. The Beatitudes show us what this kind of love, a love that is ever-present but without limit, what this kind of love looks like. The Beatitudes are not an ideal that we can never reach, but rather the goal of our Christian journey that we can reach by his grace. Let us then consider the Beatitudes more carefully. There are two interpretive keys that will guide us in our endeavor. The first concerns the Beatitudes as a whole, 
As we shall see, our Lord and the Beatitudes are not unlike Moses and the Ten Commandments. And this is why many church fathers described our Lord as the new Moses. This interpretive key shows us how the Beatitudes are the completion and perfection of the law of the Ten Commandments. Let's look at some striking parallels between Moses on the one hand and our Lord on the other. Moses was sent by God to free the Israelites who were being held in bondage in Egypt. Jesus was sent by God to free us, the new Israel, from the bondage of sin. Moses led Israel through the desert to their inheritance, the earthly promised land. Our Lord is leading us, the new Israel, through the desert of this life to our inheritance, the heavenly promised land. When Moses went up Mount Sinai to receive the word of God, the Ten Commandments that were written on stone tablets by God himself, the people were commanded not to go anywhere near the mountain, not even to set foot on it, lest they die. In contrast, when our Lord came, the Word incarnate, when he came to us, he called us to join him on the mount, to hear his word for themselves, and that is the Sermon on the Mount, and to have the Beatitudes inscribed not on stone tablets, but on their hearts. For the second interpretive key, I want you to notice how each beatitude has both an earthly and a heavenly dimension. Each one begins with something we are, we experience, or we do as pilgrims on earth. Each one ends with the heavenly eternal blessing that results from that being, from that experiencing, or from that doing. Each beatitude each blessing is a guidepost on our pilgrimage of love. Living the Beatitudes are how our Lord changes our focus from the temporal to the eternal, from the material to the spiritual, from me to thee, from the rule of law to the intimate relationship of lovers. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, being poor means lacking the ability to get what we need. Being poor in spirit is a voluntary poverty in which first we recognize that it is our own selfishness, our own self-will and pride that prevents us from being able to love as God loves. And second, that God will supply all we need to do just that if we but empty ourselves of ourselves. Father Kevin O'Brien wrote that, quote, poverty of spirit is an emptying of self so that God can fill us with his life and love, unquote. And what is the kingdom of heaven but uniting our will with his, of letting his spirit of life and love pervade purify and consume our own, even while we're here on earth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This beatitude reminds us to mourn our sins in that they offend our Lord who is deserving of all of our love. And we're comforted 
by the assurance of his forgiveness. But it also reminds us to suffer with those who are suffering. Our Lord wept with those who wept. A bruised reed he would not break. And we ourselves can and must be an instrument of his comfort for those who are suffering the trials and tribulations of life. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness to the world is the same as weakness. But what it really is, is a humble, quiet, and confident courage. Our Lord was meek, not weak. It was through his meekness that he continued his mission in the face of both human and demonic opposition. It was through his meekness that prompted him to tell St. Peter, who was tempting him to turn from the cross, get behind me, Satan. Our Lord's meekness is manifest most especially in the Last Supper and all his suffering up to and including his crucifixion on Calvary. Pope Francis, in a recent audience, noted that Scripture in Scripture, the word meek also indicates those who have no earthly property. And therefore, it's an odd thing that the blessing of the meek is that they shall inherit the land. However, inherit and land, in this context, the Pope explained, has a broader meaning. Which is why the Beatitudes' connection with Moses is so important. In the Old Testament, Israel's inheritance was understood to be the promised land. But this is not the land the meek will inherit. We are the children of the new covenant. Our Lord was not talking about some earthly temporal possession. The inheritance of the meek, their land, is heaven itself. An eternal heavenly homeland, an inheritance that cannot be taken away. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Try to imagine yearning for virtue and justice as we yearn for food when we're hungry or water when we're thirsty. We would search for that food and water until we found it and were satisfied. Only the sick or the dying no longer experience hunger or thirst. And if we no longer hunger and thirst for righteousness, then we can be sure that we are spiritually either sick or dying. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Love does not brood over injuries. And this is why in the Lord's Prayer we say, forgive us as we forgive others. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Purity of heart is not what most people first think of, namely chastity. Its essence lies in having but one desire, one goal, one guiding purpose or objective. St. Thomas Aquinas had about as varied and busy a life as one can imagine, but when our Lord asked him what he wanted the most, he responded, only you, Lord. That is purity of heart. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Those who bring peace imitate our Lord who came to reconcile us with the Father that we may truly be his children. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we seek righteousness, we will find it, along with persecution, for the prince of this world opposes goodness. But it is through persecution that the kingdom of heaven is ours, because in this we are imitating our Lord who, for love of sinners, accepted persecution at their hands. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. The height of evangelical perfection is ours when we feel blessed, when men revile, persecute, and speak evil against us. In the book of Acts, the disciples rejoiced when they were counted worthy to suffer beatings on the account of our Lord. We must imitate them and also rejoice when we suffer unjustly. The fact is, the Beatitudes, which we, along with all the Carmelite saints and souls, promise to incorporate into our lives so that we can tend to evangelical, evangelical perfection, they are anything but sentimental. They call us to a gritty, hard-fought battle against our fallen human nature, against Satan and against the world. But in this battle, we use unconventional warfare. We defeat our adversaries of self, Satan, and the world using asymmetric weapons. By his grace, we meet strength with weakness, evil with goodness, hate with love, all, all of which, like Our Lady, we cover with contemplation and prayer. In love, we were created. In love, God gave us the law. In love, he gave us the Beatitudes. And we will win the battle with this self-same love love of God and love of neighbor.